We sang uh, Psalm 96. Now, uh, please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 96. And let's ask the Lord to help us understand uh, his word. Father, we come to you now as we look to your word, and we pray that the same spirit that inspired the author of these words would now also open our eyes and our hearts that we would truly understand the significance of these of these teachings of this psalm. And we pray, too, that we would be moved to glorify your name through this, and our hearts lifted up in adoration at the goodness of you, who has not only uh, revealed your will to your people Israel, but then also uh, brings the knowledge of truth to the nations of the earth. For this we give thanks in our prayer, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, please read along with me as we, re as we look at Psalm 96. O oh, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad, and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar, and all that is in it. Let the field exult, and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness, and the peoples in his faithfulness. Here we end the reading of God's word. If I were to ask you tonight, what is the main theme of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, what would you say? No, oh, well, yeah, you can actually answer. Uh, maybe election? Is that the main theme? God's sovereignty and election? Reconciliation. Okay. Anyone else want to try well, Paul certainly does talk about election and predestination, and, and that is a major theme in the book of Ephesians. And when we're talking to people about that doctrine, we naturally turn to Ephesians uh, because it is so clearly uh, a, a major theme in that book. But the main theme of the book of Ephesians is actually the unity of the church. The unity of the church is founded on God's predestination. But Paul makes it clear that the unity of the church and God's predestination of his election of those who believe in his sovereign grace uh, calls both Jews and Gentiles. And it's particularly 
in that area of the Jews and the Gentiles being called together. And he, he uses this illustration that, that uh, those of us who are Gentiles were outside of the temple. We were outside and kept out by law, kept out from that, uh, that little wall of division. He calls that the dividing wall. It's a, a short wall that surrounded the court of the Gentiles, or the court of Israel. The Gentiles had a court that they could go into, into the, in, the, in the temple, the court of Gentiles. They were allowed to go there, but they could not go further than that little wall of division that uh, separated Gentile from Jew. They could not go into the, into the temple itself. They could not go into the court of Israel. They could not certainly go beyond uh, the, the uh, altar into the, into the uh, holy place or the holy of holy. Well, only the high priests ever got to go into the holy of holies. And only Levites could go into the holy place. Gentiles were not allowed in. Paul uses that illustration that there were those of us Gentiles who were outside of the covenants and the promises of God. We were strangers and aliens to Israel. We did not participate in the promises and covenants. But now, through Christ, that middle wall, I'm still remembering my old King James phrasing here, I think, that middle wall of partition has been broken down. And I always like to think of that movie that uh, was made back in the 60s. Guess who's coming to... What, oh, yeah, guess who's coming to dinner at line. Guess who's coming to dinner? Gentiles. Oh, no! Well, Peter had a problem with that, didn't he? He had a couple times in his life that he had a problem with that. Remember, the Lord had to specially show Peter that uh, he was going to make the Gentiles clean. And he showed him that vision of the, 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 the sheet with all kinds of food and, and unclean food. And, and God told Peter, rise up, take up and eat. Rise up, eat. Lord, I can't eat unclean food. Don't call unclean what I have made clean. We also know that a little later on in his life, Peter had a problem with eating and fellowshipping with Gentiles because the Apostle Paul had to confront him with uh, the fact that he was under the influence of the Judaizers, Peter was withdrawing from fellowship with the Gentile believers. Paul says, I confronted Peter to his face. Boy, wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall then? Peter, what do you think you're doing? Peter probably didn't realize it. But I think in Paul's mind, Peter's withdrawal from Gentile fellowship was in fact a denial of the gospel in many ways. It certainly was a denial of the promise. And we find this promise in Psalm 96. Look at that psalm again, and I'm going to take you quickly through that psalm just highlighting the places in the psalm where it talks about the nations, the Gentiles, the peoples. Uh, and, and those who are outside of Israel. Verse 3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Verse 5, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Verse 7, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Verse 9, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness, tremble before him, 
all the earth. Ten, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yet, yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. And so forth. Let's look at verse uh, 13, too. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. All of those are references to the gospel coming to Gentiles. Now, David lived about a thousand years, roughly a thousand years before Christ. And here is this psalm that comes to us, and let me put it very, very, uh, let me state this very clearly. This psalm anticipates the Great Commission. You need to link this psalm with the Great Commission. Look, remember what Jesus said in that commission, uh, the end of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, beginning of verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Almost every phrase in that Great Commission, uh, you can trace back to some antecedent concept or phrase or something in Psalm 96. Look at how Jesus begins by a statement of his own authority, and think of how the authority and majesty of God is highlighted in Psalm 96. Uh, Think about, uh, well, think about this. Psalm 96 says, "...declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples." And think of what Jesus says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. One year at General Assembly, our uh, General Secretary of Foreign Missions was uh, making his presentation. He said, the goal of our foreign missions is to spread the worship of the true and living God throughout the earth so that nations would come to worship him. That's what's envisioned in Psalm 96. This is truly a missionary psalm. I think this psalm was especially important to the Apostle Paul, because the Apostle Paul had a very prominent and important, I would say a unique place. In fact, he would say it was a unique place in God's fulfilling this psalm by being the the apostle to the Gentiles. Just also, I want you to think with me for a few moments how this psalm opens up. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. There are four places in the psalms that we find this uh, beginning of a psalm, O sing to the Lord a new song, a new song. There are two places in the book of Revelation, interestingly, that we find the same uh, introduction. They sang a new song. What's the significance of a new song? Many, many years ago, when we were first married back in The 70s. You remember the 70s? 
No, you don't. You don't remember the seventies. I I had been influenced by teaching that basically said we should sing psalms exclusively in the church. We had 150, and that was our that was our songbook, and that was all that the church should sing. It's called exclusive psalmody. There are many brothers and and who who hold to that view. There are denominations that hold to that view today, and they are indeed brothers in Christ. For a while, I I had that view. There were a couple things that eventually changed my mind, and this was one of them. What's the significance of this statement here? This command, sing a new song. And as I researched, as I dug deeper into the scriptures, it was this. God is always at work. And God's providence, as he works in his providence, he does his great and mighty deeds of salvation. And the church, whether it's ancient Israel or the church today, needs to be aware of how God is working through his providence in the course of history and commemorate the great and mighty deeds of God in new songs. There's still to be—let me say, I think the psalms ought to be the pattern that we follow. And we ought to sing the psalms, but we also ought to bring into our singing songs that— glorify God, that praise God for things that he has done. Now, think of this. The Psalms, of course, there are Messianic Psalms, but there are no Psalms written specifically to commemorate the coming of Christ. Sing a new song. (laughs) And we have. Uh, We sing songs about the coming of Christ, about the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. We sing songs about his his life and his ministry. We sing songs about his coming again. We sing songs about the the impact that that has had on the world and on us. When we sing songs about Christ, we are singing new songs that are recalling to mind the great saving deeds of our God. And that, that, that was a puzzle I couldn't overcome. If we are commanded by Scripture— to be aware of what God is doing and to commemorate his great mighty deeds in song, then how can we be, uh, how can we be uh, limited to these songs which are written before the coming of Christ? So I, I had to take my fine, wonderful theory and put it to rest, and I became a much happier person, and probably Mary Lynn can tell you, I I became a much easier to get along with person, too. She's hiding behind Rudy. uh, (laughs) Oh, no, now she, oh, I made her blush. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Well, in in that point, that point, we find that when you find that phrase, we are being commanded to commemorate the great, mighty deeds of God in new songs. And I think that is that is something we should rejoice in. <clears throat> so here we have in this psalm, new songs. Sing to the Lord a new song. Why? The Lord is going to do something amazing. The Lord is going to do something that is 
in the words of the Apostle Paul, a mystery. The Lord is going to bring the Gentiles in. How, how many of you here are Jewish? No. I mean, we're all Gentiles then? We ought to be really thrilled about this psalm. We are no longer out in the cold looking in, are we? We have been brought in. We have been grafted into the, the, the true olive tree. We have been become heirs of the covenants and the promises by faith. Abraham is as much our father in the faith as he is of the Jewish people. In fact, I might say even more so. Paul, if we could have him speak to us today, I think would rejoice in this psalm because Paul's ministry was in many ways a fulfillment of this psalm. And Paul was very conscious of the very specific place that he had in God's economy, in God's work of bringing the Gentile nations in. Oh, by the way, before I get into the mystery that Paul talks about, did you notice how this psalm presents the knowledge of God and the nations? It's not in a flippant way. It's not in a disrespectful way. These nations will be impressed by the awesome glory of God, and they will come to worship. Isaiah and Micah both have a passage where they say, in the latter days, the mountain of the Lord will be exalted and the nations of the earth will stream to it. And they will say, teach us your laws. Teach us. This is the, the missionary endeavors that begin really with the, the day of Pentecost and, and then quickly through the apostolic age and specifically through the ministry of Paul are fulfillments of those things. Paul says, though, that this is a mystery. It has been kept a mystery. Now, I would say as we read this, I, I would keep something in mind. It wasn't really a mystery that God would call the Gentiles. It was a mystery as to how he would do it how he would actually arrange for the Gentiles to be brought in uh, as worshipers of God. But clearly we have in the Old Testament this psalm, other prophetic passages. Even, even when uh, Jesus is born, some of the statements about him, he is a, a, a light to the Gentiles and glory for my people Israel. And they're quoting from, uh, uh, from passages and applying it to Jesus himself. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, he's writing to the church at Ephesus, which had mainly Gentiles, some Jewish members, but mainly Gentile members, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, 
When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And I would say again, it had been revealed to a certain extent, but certainly not in the depth, not in the clarity, and certainly not the method that God would use to accomplish what he would do. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places." Well, this broadens our perspective out even more. It means that this mystery also needed to be understood by rulers and powers in heavenly places. There are angels. There are rulers and powers in heavenly places. They don't know everything. They don't know the mind of God completely. They may know more than we do, but they didn't know this. They didn't know this. It's not quite a mystery that the Gentiles would be called. But in the New Testament and through Christ and clearly during the, the apostolic age and the ministry of Paul, this mystery is made much clearer. It is pursued with great energy. And it becomes the, the powerful driving force behind the ministry of Paul. This mystery is also explained in more depth in Romans 11, 25 through 36. Here he's writing again largely to a Gentile audience, but he's explaining to them, and there's three chapters, uh, 9, 10, and 11, where he is explaining to the people of the church in Rome this mystery of how God brings the Gentiles into faith. And in this, in this part, he, he tells us also that it was necessary to, for a time and partially to set Israel aside so that the fullness of the Gentiles could be brought in. Listen to what he says. And again, remember, he's writing mainly to Gentiles. Lest you be wise in your own sight, you Gentiles, who have now tasted of the gospel and been brought into God's kingdom, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. And here he means specifically the Jewish people. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. And here, I think, when he uses the word Israel here, I think he has in view Jew and Gentile brought together in one body. All of God's elect will be saved. 
But this hardening, this, this setting aside of Israel, notice the term he uses, a partial hardening. And I think throughout this passage, he also intimates, he also hints, that this is not a permanent hardening either. That there will be a time when God uh, again turns his grace toward Israel and toward Jewish people, and that there, there will be a great ingathering among uh, from the Jews as well. That's that's not just my opinion. That's been held throughout the, the church. By the way, even in our uh, Westminster Larger Catechism, when the Larger Catechism says uh, it deals with the phrase uh, <clears throat> in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, what are we praying for when we pray thy kingdom come? They specifically say in the answer to that, the calling of the Jews. The people at the Westminster Assembly still had hope that there would be a calling of the Jews and that that was that figured in God's plan. And again, if you're pre-mill, post-mill, or ah-mill, all three groups have by and large affirmed that that is something to look forward to. This hardening is neither permanent nor complete. It is a partial hardening until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. There is no place in Christianity for anti-Semitism. There's no place in Christianity for hatred of the Jewish people. There's been this thing, you know, Jew Christians, and, and in times past it has been true. Those Jews, they're the ones who killed Christ. You know who killed Christ? Hey, my sins were nailed to the cross with Christ. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. That's another, boy, that's a, a flashing light there. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. You have a real problem with this phrase or this statement here if you think that God is completely done with the Jewish people. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by, that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. We're all in the same boat. One is not better than the other. We all have the same great need. But God gives mercy to all. Now, here's where I want us to end up tonight. As we think of this psalm, and it's a missionary psalm, it, pre, it, it, it precedes the Great Commission and, and, and looks forward to the Great Commission. It is a, a psalm in which we are commanded to sing songs commemorating what God does, and we should sing missionary songs. We should sing songs about the spread of the gospel throughout the world and rejoice in that. But here's... Here's where we find those songs, because Paul, as, as he considers the way of God, he considers that God has worked among the Jews 
And for a time he has in part set them aside so that the Gentiles may come in, but also in the hope that the, the gifts and calling of God being irrevocable, there will also be another outpouring upon the Jewish people of God's mercy. And Paul, at this point, worships. At this point, Paul worships. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. When Paul considers this mystery, a mystery that is spoken of in Psalm 96, some of the prophets, a mystery that is in, in a way referred to in the Great Commission, a mystery that Paul unfolds in the book of Ephesians, in the book of Romans, he is reduced to worship, and all he can proclaim, oh, the depth, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. His ways are unsearchable. We cannot comprehend the ways of God. It is for us to stand and marvel and just be in awe. you realize the implications of this passage? It is God who has the course of the world's history firmly in his hand. It is God who directs empires to rise and fall. It is God who brings certain people in when the time is right. And that's why Paul says at the end of this, all things are from him and through him and back to him. All things to him be glory forever. The proper response to this passage in the Bible, Psalm 96, is worship. The proper response is found in these closing words of Romans chapter 11. O oh, the depth. Let's pray. Father, we marvel at the mystery, and at the same time we are so grateful that we Gentiles, who at one time were aliens and strangers to the covenants of the promise, have been brought in. We have been excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and now we are citizens of the true Israel. Father, we pray that you would help us to appreciate the manifold wisdom of your goodness, that we might join with Paul, that we might not be proud and lifted up in our own hearts, but we might always say, for from him and 
through him and to him are all things to God be glory forever. Amen.